Thank you for another warm Mafra welcome. Thank you for your nice Niger weather. Except I think you could tone down the humidity a little. But anyway. Uh, and thank you for that song too. That song was commissioned by Sim International to celebrate our 125th anniversary year, which is 2018. So I think you could be the first congregation in Australia to sing that song. So well done. Um, a photo of our family. Uh, thank you also to you as a church for your prayers for us, your support for us in prayer over the last 10 years. I think we first visited Mafra in 2008 or maybe end of 2007. And you've been praying for us ever since. So thank you for that and for your partnership with us in praying for us as a family, but also in praying out workers for the Desert Tribes. It was a great joy yesterday to celebrate the way God is answering those prayers, uh, in particular through the 13 that shared yesterday. I'm going to do one more Bible reading, and then pray, and then we'll get stuck into our... Uh, uh, this, this last Bible reading is from John 20. And I'll just be reading from verse 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Salam Aleikum. Actually, it was closer to Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Salam Alaikum. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now this, the context of this little section at the end of John, John chapter 20, is it's the first thing that happens after Jesus' resurrection. So he's been buried. Uh, Early in chapter 20 we have Mary Magdalene discovering that the tomb is empty and, and meeting Jesus, but the rest of the disciples are locked up in their room because they're afraid. The world is against them. They're afraid that they too will be persecuted. And they are hopeless because they saw Jesus crucified. So the context, the emotional context for them at this point is fear. And Jesus appears to them and greets them with the Middle Eastern greeting. Now three times in in John 20, Jesus greets them with peace be with you. Which isn't because he's emphasising the words peace or peace being with us it's because that's how people greet in the Middle East and to me that's uh, just another great authenticity of the Gospels that Jesus' greeting, his Middle Eastern greeting is is, uh, there as he greets three times but notice how their attitude, their emotion changes as they see Jesus turns from fear to joy 
overjoy. From despair to confidence. And it's in that context that Jesus speaks these words. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is John's version of the Great Commission. As Jesus sends out his disciples with these words. But notice that he gave them these words where they were at, in the context of fearful people. Fearful people locked up in a room, afraid of the world or outside. And to those fearful people he gave this commission. They were no longer fearful because now Jesus was with them. But And Jesus also empowers them, the very next verse. He breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't send them out on this mission on their own to do, to work hard for Jesus in their own strength. He sends them out with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work to lead and guide them through their lives, to lead them to the people to talk to, to work through them, to work to convict people in their hearts. All the work of ministry is the work of the Holy Spirit. They are simply the channel through whom the Holy Spirit works. So Jesus empowers them and he gives them a great responsibility. He says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, it's not as difficult as it looks. Jesus is not saying that God cannot forgive someone if you don't forgive them. That's not what he's saying. How are people forgiven? People are forgiven by learning to trust in Jesus. And how do they learn to trust in Jesus? They learn to trust in Jesus as they hear about him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever puts their trust in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. And we are the ones who have been given the message that saves, the message that brings forgiveness. So as we tell people about God's one and only Son and tell them that all they need to do is put their trust in Him, all who put their trust in Him receive forgiveness. So we have the message that saves, but we also choose who we will share that message with. We have people on our prayer list who we pray for that God will save them, that God will change work in their hearts or change them. We pray for people that we ask God to give us opportunities to share the good news with them. But there are many other people we never think to pray for. There are many people we've never thought to share the good news with. They could be our neighbour. They could live right next door and we think about other people who we like, that we want to learn about Jesus, but we... This neighbour, we don't really like that person. You know why you don't like them, because (laughs) uh, most people have neighbours like that. And because you don't like them, you never think to pray for them. You maybe never think to share Jesus with them. They might be a really obnoxious person who likes to be critical of the gospel. They might write papers, uh, nasty letters about Christians to the local paper. And they annoy us. But we don't think to pray for them. We don't think to ask Jesus to give us opportunities to share his love with them. 
There might be people who we see in the shops who are dressed differently. You know, maybe they wear a headscarf. And we think, oh, that person must be a Muslim or a Hindu or something. And we're a bit afraid of them. So we don't think to ask them if they've heard of Jesus. We have been given the message that saves. And we choose who we will share that message with. Now, you might choose not to share the message with someone because you haven't forgiven them or you don't like them or you are afraid of them. But God could still forgive them through somebody else. So God's hands aren't tied by our attitude. But this is the challenge. He's given us the mission. He's empowered us for this mission. And he's given us a great responsibility. And so the challenge for us is that we should be people who forgive. People who are willing to share the gospel with all people, not just the ones we like. Because that's what Jesus did. He came into the world that rejected him because he loved that world. He came to the world that hated him so that they might be forgiven. And that's the attitude he wants us to have. Looking a bit closer at his commission, he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now what does that mean? How how did the Father send him? How is he sending us? And so to look at, to find the answer to this, I think we only have to look in John. Right at the beginning of John, we see, from, um, we see how the Father sent Jesus. And first thing I want us to notice is where did he send Jesus from? So we'll read the beginning of John, chapter 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So here is Jesus at the beginning of time, the one through whom the whole universe was made, the maker of all things who spoke everything into being. Already with God, already sovereign over all things. This is where he came from. He had everything. He had every comfort, every power, every right. And where did, how did the Father send Jesus? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him into the world that he'd made, the world that should have belonged to him, the world that should have recognized him. But they didn't recognize him. Not only did they not recognize him, they rejected him. And why did they not recognize him? It was because he became one of them, so completely one of them that they couldn't imagine he could be anything else but one of them. He took on their culture, he learned their language, he ate their food, he wore their clothes. He became one of them. But he didn't just become one of them, he humbled himself to become the least of one of them. Born to a virgin, born in a stable, laid in a manger, announced to fringe dwellers, 
smelly shepherds that didn't really live in the town and to foreigners, foreign nomads who were rejected by the people and to a few geriatrics. And he lived his life as a nobody, a carpenter in Nazareth of all places. He had only one garment to call his own. He lived his life with not even a, with less home than a fox. Fox as a whole, but he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. How did the father send the one who owned everything, the one who was, who was sovereign over all? He sent him as a nobody to become the least. And that is how the father sends us. Get back to that in a minute. Why did the Father send Jesus to become a nobody, to serve those who, sh- who he had made, who rejected him? Because to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. He came to turn enemies and strangers into children. Just think how gracious that is. The one who owned everything comes into his own world and they don't recognize him. But instead of getting angry at that world, he dies for that world to give them the right to become children. To all who trust in him. No exceptions. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusts in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. Can you hear me alright today, John? Um, as the Father has sent me so I am sending you Jesus is telling us that he is sending us with the same attitude to have the same attitude as the Father sent him to become nobodies in the world he sent us to not to go with power, not to go with authority, not to be, go as bigwigs, not to go with, as people who deserve to be listened to, but to go as nobodies that no one recognises, that people don't respect, and to go and serve that world. Now the history of mission really is of Westerners going as somebodies. We go to, to somewhere that needs us and we create something that is needed. We find a a need like healthcare or something and we, we do that and we have status. People look up to us. But that's not how the Father sent Jesus. The Father sent Jesus to be a nobody. And we've got to, in this day, as the West loses its power and as Christianity loses its status, we need to learn to go like Jesus sent us. You know, in places like China, we can't go as somebodies. We have to go as nobodies. But it's even good for us to go as nobodies in places like Niger. To just go and live amongst the people and learn their language and share our lives with them. Not because we have something to offer, but because God so loved the world. Because our model for ministry needs to be Jesus. He was sent into the world. As a father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And he was sent into the world 
to save the world by being the good shepherd of his sheep. Now in John 10 that Glenis read, we read about the sheep in a way that doesn't really make sense in Australia. So we read about uh, the fact that in, in uh, Palestine, in the villages of Palestine, all the different shepherds would come together at night. They'd put their sheep in, a, in the one pen for safety or security of the flock from the wild animals. And one shepherd would be there to guard the flock overnight at the, at the gate while the sheep were safe inside the pen. Whether that was made of thorns or made of rocks, who knows, depended on the village. In the morning, the shepherds would come to collect their sheep. And the shepherd would come to the pen and call his sheep. And his sheep would leave the flock, leave the whole gathering of sheep in that pen and follow the shepherd. And the second shepherd would come and call his sheep. And his sheep would follow him. Now, this doesn't happen in Niger because they don't need to pen their their animals and the nomads tend to live separately, not all in the one village. But something very similar happens in Niger when it comes to watering their sheep. So all the the shepherds bring their flocks to the one well to water. They don't have sheepdogs, they don't have fences. The shepherds come early enough to drink tea in the heat heat of the sun under the shade with their other shepherd mates. And so while they're having their tea, their sheep are all standing in clumps around the well in the clumps of each flock. Not just the sheep, the camels, the cattle, the goats, the donkeys, they're all in their little clumps. Now when a shepherd decides it's time for his sheep to get watered, he gets up from his mat and he goes to the well and he calls his sheep. And his sheep will leave where they are and come to the water troughs to drink the water. And then he'll call his cattle and then his donkeys, etc. And when they're finished watering, he might go back to the mat and the sheep go back to their clump. And the next shepherd gets up and calls his sheep and his sheep come to get watered, etc. And then at the end of the day, when it's time to go back to their homes, the shepherds will get up one by one and call their sheep. Their sheep will leave the other animals and follow that shepherd back to his, back, back home again. In Australia, we have a saying, stupid as a sheep. And we don't really like that analogy when we think about us being sheep, but there's a similar saying in Vietnam about sheep, and I think it's probably a similar saying in Africa. The saying is obedient as a sheep. So when we were in Niger, I noticed that uh, at the place where my brother lives, they live in, in a local Fulani community. The sheep are tied up, the sheep and goats are tied up overnight near the, near the house. In the morning all the sheep are let loose. The goats stay tied up till after midday. And the reason is that the sheep will stay with the shepherd and follow the shepherd wherever he goes. And so because the sheep are obedient, they can let the sheep off early to eat, whereas the goats do what they want, wonder where they will. They'll come back at night. But if you let them off too early, they'll get too far away and might not get back at night. So they wait till after midday to let them off. Obedient as a sheep. Now the picture that Jesus is giving of ministry is that he, as the good shepherd, leads his sheep. And his sheep follow him because they trust him. They follow him because they trust the shepherd and trusting sheep obey their shepherd. But how does a sheep learn to trust his shepherd? 
they learn from lambs. You can see the man carrying, carrying the little lamb. Now, these nomads are good shepherds, all of them, because they love their sheep. They care for their sheep. Their sheep are their bank account. It's their livelihood. It's the inheritance they can pass on. Fulani or any of these nomads cannot imagine being a bad shepherd. That's inconceivable. It's like um, if you own a house, you can't imagine why anyone would want to trash your house if you own if the house they own, right? So they're good shepherds. And so good shepherds look after their sheep and care for their sheep and are good to their sheep. And the sheep only ever have good experience of their shepherd. Now the shepherd does discipline his sheep if they need discipline. But the sheep know that uh, they trust trust the shepherd. So in that context, uh, like your dog, if you have to discipline your dog, it doesn't stop trusting you because you discipline it. But the shepherd is good to his sheep. If a lamb gets tired, he doesn't beat it with a stick. He picks it up and carries it. And this is the model of ministry that Jesus lived, and this is the model of ministry that he wants us to live. But we started by learning to be good sheep. We start by learning to trust the good shepherd. Now often in, in Western Christianity, we, we have more of a focus on believing the right doctrines than we do in trusting that's why I keep using the word trust instead of believe every time it appears, you may have noticed. Because our focus tends to be on believing the right things. So we want someone to become a sheep. Our focus is on getting them to believe the right thing about Jesus and then we can say they're a Christian. And then our focus is on getting to believe the right doctrine so they can become an elder. Etc, <laughs> etc. Et but our focus is on believing facts more so often than on trusting Jesus. So our churches are full of people, can be full of people who believe all the right doctrine and are proud of the the good doctrine that they believe, but who may not be very good at obeying the good shepherd. So when the good shepherd says, I want you to forgive so-and-so, we find reasons not to. We know all the theory, we know all the doctrine, but we don't want to trust and obey because often we don't, we doubt that God really is good, that He really is a good shepherd. We often think in the back of our mind that He is actually looking out for us to stumble so He can zap us. Instead of thinking, no, He's a good shepherd who I can trust completely. And if He says forgive so and so, then I can forgive so and so because He told me to. And I've learned to obey the shepherd. So as we send people to Niger and Chad and other places, part of our goal of those that we send is that they learn to trust the good shepherd as part of life. And the more steps of faith that they take, a step of faith of getting on the plane to go out to Niger or Chad or somewhere like that, a step of faith to go and stand in front of a church and tell them what we're going to do, or what we believe God wants us to do. The step of faith of starting to learn a language when we're afraid of learning language. As we obey the Good Shepherd in those steps of faith, as we learn to trust, our trust muscle gets stronger. And God keeps putting challenges in front of us so that our trust muscle will keep getting stronger. 
And so that's something I'd like you to think about for those who are going as you pray for them, that you would pray for them that their trust muscles will keep growing stronger as they face new and different challenges, that they continue to trust that the Good Shepherd is good and that as they trust that they continue to obey and that that muscle will keep growing as they see his faithfulness at every new challenge. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So he's setting us also to be little good shepherds under the good shepherd. To be like our master. Now how was our master? What was he like? The three key characteristics I want you to think about. One is his humility. He came to put others' interests ahead of his own. He came not to insist on his right to be worshipped but to serve those who rejected him. And that should be the mark of our attitude too. So our focus, rather than being on teaching others, our focus should be on how am I like Jesus? Do you get the difference? If my focus is on how can others be more like Jesus, it's very different to when I'm focusing on myself and how can I be more like Jesus in this situation? How humble am I? Now, automatically that's going to make us more humble if we're, if we're focused on, am I like Jesus? Am I like him in his humility? Whereas if my focus is on teaching others, it's more of a prideful position to come from. So we come from this position of humility, putting others ahead of us, of patience, trusting that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives and that in his time he will bring to fruit what he is at, the things he is doing. So often we can try to force people to change in the way we want them to change. And so we don't come across as a patient good shepherd. We come across as a sheepdog. And many people are afraid of coming to church because their experience of churchianity was of sheepdogs trying to keep them in the straight and narrow rather than of shepherds leading them patiently. And it's hard for a sheep, Australian sheep, to learn to trust his shepherd because he keeps getting the dog on him. He keeps getting bitten when he goes the wrong way. And so our sheep aren't learning to trust the shepherd. But what are we modelling our church like that? Are we focused more on our fences and on our, our, how, how good our sheepdog is? Or are we trusting that the Holy Spirit is the one who is growing his sheep? And are we patient with people as he changes them in his time? Are we forgiving like Jesus, seeking to save those who've hurt us or those who we're afraid of or those who we don't like? Now these are the three things that, is, that we need to focus on if we want to be sent like Jesus was sent. Sent in humility, in patience and in forgiveness into a world that doesn't recognise us. If we go with this kind of attitude, we won't be on the radio debating, having nasty debates with people who disagree with us. Because that's not how Jesus treats people. People aren't Ministry isn't about winning arguments, it's about saving souls. 
helping people learn to trust the Good Shepherd. And so as we go into, into the world, our goal is to show others how to trust the Good Shepherd. We do this in several ways. We do it by doing it ourselves, by trusting the Good Shepherd ourselves. But we also do it by pointing them to the Good Shepherd. By telling them stories of how good he is and how trustworthy and how much he loves them and how worthy of he is to be followed. We just keep on pointing people to Jesus. Now I'll tell a story now to illustrate the difference in, that happens when our focus is on pointing people to Jesus rather than trying to get them to cross lines of, of believing the right doctrine. So this is a story that happened in my father's ministry out in the east of the country that you pray for. Um, so he was sharing the gospel with a she- uh, someone from this shepherd- shepherding community who was born with a cripple, uh, with a limp, a lame leg. And in this culture, if you're no good as a shepherd, because you've got a lame leg, then you get given to an, an imam to, to learn the Quran and to learn how to be a religious teacher. So this fellow was, as a, as a young boy, given to an imam to learn at a Quranic school how to be an, uh, how to be a, an imam himself. His brother, one of, who was a fit, uh, his, one of his brothers was one of the first believers back in the um, early 80s, I think. He, he was also a religious student, but he became very interested in the good news and became a believer. Went back to his family and was persecuted by his family for many, many years. But continued to be a faithful follower of Jesus faithfully following his good shepherd. Now he might get teaching once a year, but there was no local church to go to, no local Bible study, no other believers within the three days walk of where he lived. But he faithfully continued following the shepherd and his family gradually softened and became interested and, and his parents believed before they died. His brother who was a religious teacher became interested in the stories about the Good Shepherd. And so he'd listen to the stories and he'd come to my dad and get more stories. And dad had the stories on cassette players that you'd wind and then on MP3 players that you could listen to. And this fellow started taking this good, this, these stories about Jesus to camps all through the bush. So he'd go as, the, as their religious teacher and he'd go to the camps and he'd share the stories about the Good Shepherd. Even though he had a limp, a lame, a lame man, it was a hard job for him to walk from community to community. But he was one of Dad's most effective evangelists, sharing the good news. And when he was in the village where Dad lived, he would continue sharing there with his other religious teacher friends. One of them was a blind man who also came to love the Good Shepherd. Um, anyway, after he'd been sharing following the Good Shepherd for some time and sharing the good news about the Good Shepherd with many others. One one year he came to Dad and said, I've been been trying to figure this out, but how does Muhammad fit into all this? God had gradually shown him that Muhammad doesn't fit into this, that he doesn't need Muhammad anymore. But he didn't... He didn't figure that out until after he was already one of the Good Shepherd's sheep. 
Now, if Dad's strategy had been to go out and, te- and debate and show what was wrong with Muhammad and the Quran and try and promote the Bible and Jesus, that sheep would never have become a sheep because he would never have listened to the message. But because Dad's focus was on helping him to see the Good Shepherd and helping him to learn to trust the Good Shepherd, by the time he'd come to trust the Good Shepherd, he didn't need Muhammad anymore. Can you see the difference? The difference between a focus on belief and a focus on trust. Now that fellow still hasn't joined the local church in that town. So there is a local church in that town that meets in another language. He still hasn't joined it because he says, if I join that church, all these sheep that are listening to the good news about the Good Shepherd will stop coming to me. Because I'll become... Um, yeah, they'll reject me and they'll stop coming to listen to the good sh- the news about the Good Shepherd. So for the sake of the sheep, he is not choosing to give himself the label Christian. But he is, a sh- he is one of Jesus' sheep. And he's understood what it is to be a Good Shepherd because he is being a Good Shepherd to lots of his sheep, sharing, helping the news, of, helping them to learn to trust the Good Shepherd. And one day they won't have a tr- problem with that label. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And he's talking about the sheep that are not in the Jewish pen. He's talking about the sheep that are in all the nations. You can see in this photo, this is a sheep, uh, an animal market. So you've got sheep on the on your left and goats on the right there. Uh, Sheep in Niger have ears that hang down whereas goats stick up. Ram's horns stick out like that. Goats go back. Sheep's tails hang low. Goats' tails stick up. But otherwise they look fairly similar. But you can see the people at the back, all the different headgear, the different tribes that that represents all different people there that are represented, different flocks that he must bring also. How is he going to bring them unless he has people to go to them to share of Jesus in their language, to point them to the Good Shepherd? How can they learn to trust in a Good Shepherd they've never heard of? And that's our challenge, to pray out many more workers to continue sharing the good news with these shepherds. Notice Jesus' urgency there. I must bring them also. It's his work to bring them in and it's his work to send us out and it's his work that works through us as the Holy Spirit empowers us. And it's his message that we take. And they will listen to his voice. He He has sheep wearing these hats out there. Some of these are his sheep and they will listen to his voice when they hear it. But first they need to hear it. But for these shepherds to learn to trust in Jesus is a lot easier, I'd say, than it is for us. You think about David, who wrote Psalm 23. How many times did he go to church in his life? How many Bible studies did he sit through? How much of the Bible did he have a copy of? 
You can think about Abraham, the father of faith, a shepherd like David. How how could he live out his spiritual disciplines? He didn't even have Genesis. He may have met with God five times in his whole life. And yet here's the faith that we are told to have. The faith, the model of the faith that we are to have. David also. And what was their faith like? Well, Psalm 23 describes David's faith. That he trusted God like his good shepherd. That he knew he was good. That he, he could lead him through the valley of the shadow of death and he could follow him because he knows the good shepherd he can trust. That the good shepherd will lead him to the still waters and to the quiet meadows and protect him from the wild animals. And for David, that was what faith was about. Just trusting the good shepherd. It's as simple as that. And for these shepherds who know what it is to be good shepherds, to learn to be sheep who trust a good shepherd is not such a hard thing. I'll tell you one more story before I finish. And that was a story that happened to these people's, uh, yeah, their clan, their, their family group. So in um, 1994, my father went back for a visit. Uh, I think it was just a month or so's visit after we'd come back as a family. And so he had the, he and a, a, a friend of his from that people group travelled across the wells, um, not along the highway, but further north, going across the country from about, from north of Golmi to further east. And what they'd do is they'd go to a well and find a well. One of the shepherds would invite them home to their place to stay the night because that's what nomads do. They are hospitable to strangers. If a stranger comes by, they need a place to stay. So someone would invite them home to their camp and dad would go back and then they would share their good news that night. Leave them with some cassette players and go on to the next well the next day. And so they did this across the country for a few weeks. They got to one well, were invited back to a camp and that camp, they invited them to share through the night. They shared till very late at night. I think three or four hours of sharing about the Good Shepherd. Got up early the next morning to keep sharing more before they had to take the animals off to the well. And then they moved on. Left them with all these cassettes. With some cassettes about the Good Shepherd and, and the, the players. And Dad came back to Australia and was here for ten years. Uh, till 2004 when they went back again for another year. They went back to the home that they used to live in way out in the east. And one day a couple, uh, one of these men came to the door with his turban on. He said, oh, do you remember us? And he says, oh, well, you look a bit familiar, but, but can you remind me where we met before? He said, oh, ten years ago you came to our well and you came back to our camp and you shared with us the good news about Jesus through the night and you left us with cassettes. Well, we want you to know that we believed the message that night. We decided to become followers of Jesus that night. Now, they're nomads, so they have a migration route. So where where Dad met with them was uh, probably five hours' drive from where this conversation is happening. So many, 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 many days walk 
from where they first met. It says, every year when, when our migrations bring us past this town, we come by to see if you're still here because we'd like to hear more. And this is the first time we've been here. So for 10 years, all they had was the teaching they got that first night. They'd become followers of the Good Shepherd that first night and for 10 years had nothing more other than the cassettes they'd had. They memorised those cassettes, wore out the cassettes and probably at least five years earlier. And so their faith was not dependent on whether they had a church they could go to or whether they had a Bible they could read because they were all illiterate. But they had learned to trust in the Good Shepherd and that was a strong faith. They were following him despite the fact that all the other families in their community were not. Because they had learned to trust the Good Shepherd. I think there's lessons we can apply here in Australia as much as out there. Our focus on helping people learn to trust in the Good Shepherd, pointing them to Jesus, not worrying so much about debating them or winning arguments or how precise their doctrine is, but helping them to learn to trust and focusing on ourselves too. Am I trusting Jesus? Do I obey him when he convicts me about something? Or am I quick to be a goat and find excuses not to obey? And as you pray out workers for the desert tribes, pray out people who are humble at heart, people who are patient, people who are forgiving, people who are learning to trust, who are learning to be obedient. And as they go out, pray that they will be good shepherds to those they're leading, who will be pointing others to Jesus and modelling what that looks like. Because he has many sheep out there who will listen to his voice when they hear it. And when they hear his voice, they will no longer listen to the voice of Muhammad, because that will become a stranger's voice. They will hear the difference. We can trust that the Holy Spirit will do that work. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to be one of us, to become the least of us, even to the point of dying for us. We thank you that he came into the world as our good shepherd, to love and care for and nurture and be patient with his sheep. And we thank you that we have become your sheep. Help us in our lives to have this image in our head that, uh, of sheep following a shepherd. That we are those sheep learning to trust you. Learning to be like you. Father, may we focus on our own lives and, and our own... Um, and how, how much we are becoming like you. On, on working to become more patient, more humble, more forgiving, more obedient and worrying less about how others are going. May we model your graciousness, your gentleness, your patience, your goodness. May we come to trust that more and more, and more deeply in our own lives as we learn to obey you and learn to be your, good, your messages to others, even those that we don't like. Father, show us those who we are choosing to ignore 
with the good news, those that we haven't are choosing not to pray for, maybe by neglect, maybe because we don't like them. And Father, would you make us more like you, realising that you've sent us to those we don't like. Thank you that you are a good shepherd and that you are bringing in your sheep from all the nations, that you are sending out workers to the Sahel. And we pray for those workers that they will become, that they will model the good shepherd and they will point to the good shepherd and that you will bring in your sheep who will learn to trust you and who will learn to spread the good news about you as you send them also. And so, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.